Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. And on today's show, we're joined by Carol Robidoux, the founder and publisher of Manchester Inklink. Inklink is an online source for all the latest local news events and happenings in the greater Manchester, New Hampshire area. The Inklink is about the people and the possibilities that make Manchester tick. Carol and I share an alma mater, the College of New Jersey, then Trent State College for her, and the mentor, the oft-mentioned on this podcast, Dr. Bob Cole. Carol, thank you for joining us. Hey, Mark, thanks for inviting me. So first, let's start with your journalism path, as we start with everyone. Can you walk us through uh, how you got to this point in your career? Well, that's a long walk, but I guess the condensed version would be uh, I was a young mom and didn't get a chance to go to college right out of high school, but eventually found my way to um, the College of New Jersey after attending the Bucks County Community College for a couple of years. And my path was I had one skill set, which was writing and um, and a curiosity, you know, a real people person, I guess you would say. Uh, I thought about social work or something like that, but my sociology professor said, if you can write about things that matter and have a wider audience, then you'd actually be doing all the social workers a favor, <laughs> something like that. So I pursued journalism and went on to Trenton State. The goal at that point was to just get a job at my local newspaper, which was the Bucks County Courier Times. And um, and it was through my um, experience there and the two professors that, that had the most influence over, over that, which was Bob Cole and Kim Pearson. They really sort of helped me find my way to getting that job. I got hired before I graduated at the local newspaper and... Um, and then did a stint at the Bucks County Courier Times for about 12 years as a, a reporter and an enterprise uh, reporter and a columnist and a youth editor, and then took a leap of faith right after 9-11 that there might be more to the world than Levittown, Pennsylvania. And so I applied for some, a job up here in New Hampshire at the New Hampshire Union Leader, and I got hired, not that simply, but ultimately that's what happened. And then I came up here, worked at the union leader as a nightside reporter for um, about seven years. And then the great recession happened. Journalists were starting to lose their jobs left and right. And, and I was one of them that, that was uh, laid off. Then I um, found a pathway back to work through patch.com. And I was a local editor for patch for a couple of years in Nashua, um, which is a, a second largest city in New Hampshire. And then when Patch decided to sell in 2014, and I lost my job again, I had to really confront what it was about journalism that I felt was important and what my role might be in that. And anybody that knows anything about Patch knows that it was an online only platform and that they hired experienced journalists to be editors for like one city, one editor type thing where you uh, kind of direct the news for that city based on what you think is relevant. And that was probably the most gratifying experience I had in a long time in journalism was having that type of relationship with a city. So 
when I got laid off from that job, I just thought, um, you know what, I really like doing that. And even if I can't get a corporate paycheck for doing it, um, I'm going to try to make that happen. So I launched Manchester Inklink in June of 2014, which means we're just about to celebrate our seven, seven year anniversary and start working on year eight. Yeah, I just built a little WordPress site and started cranking out stories and eventually started looking to get some advertising support for it. And here we are. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're a legitimate news source here in our community and, and in our state. So well, it's a it's a great lesson for anyone uh, interested in entrepreneurial journalism, as I exactly. know at our alma mater, uh, there's actually a class in that. I'm sure that's true uh, at journalism school, uh, journalism classes around the country. Uh, what was the, what's the biggest factor in uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of places start up and then they fade out. What's yeah. the biggest factor in your success? I would say talking to other people who had done it. And one of the uh, one of the greatest resources out there right now, I would say, is uh, Lion Publishers, which is L-I-O-N for local independent online news publishers. It's a national organization, which probably it's a little older than than my publication is it started out very grassrootsy uh, and just just a small uh, number of entrepreneurial journalists but over time it's grown now into a, an incredible organization with a lot more resources to help aspiring journalists and they can take you from wanting to have your own site and walking you through that process uh, to supporting more um, experienced publishers like myself with uh, everything from workshops and tutorials to uh, grant opportunities. And probably the biggest thing is just the access to other people who've been there and done that um, and, and learning some best practices, keeping up with the technology, keeping up with the legal ramifications of everything that we're doing and being compliant with online news uh, regulations and all of those things. So it's, 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 a, it's a whole nother world, but Lion Publishers had a lot to do with my success uh, because all of a sudden it wasn't just me trying to figure everything out. And that was important, uh, especially because, you know, I had a few people say, oh, well, where's your business plan? <laughs> and um, to this day, I still don't have one. And I said, <laughs> my plan, my plan is to write a bunch of stories and build a, a readership and write stories that matter. And hopefully someone will see the value in that. And, you know, they'll want to support what we're doing in some way, shape or form. We are a, a, a for-profit business. We're not a nonprofit, which is kind of the trend right now, but uh, to be nonprofit. But um but I just feel that you can plan yourself right out of doing it if you, if you plan too hard, if it's what you want to do, you know. One thing that Dr. Cole always taught me was that I ask about the name. So uh, why is it the Inklink? Well, that's a great question. So when I was working for the union leader, I had gone from being a full-time staff reporter to uh, in between that getting laid off and, and going to patch. I got rehired as a contractor, which was my first taste of sort of running the ship myself. And so I covered the town of Derry for the union leader. And in that, 
in that space, uh, the, the union leader at that time was not really posting anything online. Um, they, they weren't terribly advanced with their, um, their internet uh, presence, but all my, all my constituents, as I like to call them, all the people of dairy that I wrote about and all the things I covered, they would always say, well, how can we get a copy of this online? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, you're not going to find it online. So I decided to, I opened up a little, um, a little, you know, I made a little uh, blog blogger site and I called it dairy ink link because it was a link to the ink and <laughs> Um, it still exists. You can find it. It's been it's been a little bit savaged by um, time and and uh, and things that aren't supposed to be there anymore. But you can still find it. And um, I just started posting my stuff there, like the day after it published in the in the Union Leader. And then a couple of the other correspondents uh, joined me. I asked them if they wanted me to publish their stuff, and they said, "Yeah, sure." So that was in. I'm going to say that was in like 2010 or really between 2009 and 2011. And that's where the name came from. And then when I decided to, to launch my own site in Manchester, which is where I live and it's the largest city here in New Hampshire, I just felt like the name made sense to me still that um, in an internet world, uh, what you're creating is a link to what has always been traditional ink on paper and um, I liked the word link because I feel like what we try to do is connect our community and link everything together. So without getting too philosophical about it, it was really a simple name, but it, for me, it, it, it was catchy, but it also, it also explained the shift to the internet for, for paper publications. And I've actually gotten some, um, some people who wanted to buy tattoos from me. So, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, I get a lot of inquiries about tattoos. And so I thought that might be a good side business at some point, but right now I got my hands full. Nice. Dr. Cole would have appreciated, he was not necessarily the most sophisticated with technology, but I think he would have appreciated the connection from paper to internet. So that's cool. Uh, another thing that's catchy, you refer to yourself as the chief, chief instigating officer. So yeah. what is your, what is your uh, role? Uh, and well, uh, why do you say that? You know, a lot of, a lot of independent publishers who, who are quite legitimate, but we, we, we have what's known as imposter syndrome sometimes, which is the feeling that, you know, it looks like we're successful, but we're just journalists, like, what are we doing here? Like, what do we know? How can we run a business kind of thing? And I think when I first started it, I, I had to come up with a name for what I was. Um, you know, I was a founder of this publication um, and I'm a publisher, a news publisher, but I'm also, you know, the editor. And, and at the time I was the lone journalist, the only photographer, you know, the, the main proofreader, my own IT person. I built the site. I created the graphics. I did everything. So what am I? You know, I'm instigating something, which to me isn't a negative thing. Like somebody said that to me once, like, well, isn't an instigator bad? And I said, I guess it depends on what they're instigating. And, and for me, you know, instigation to me is just an act of rebellion on some level. And for me, my act of rebellion was saying in an industry that's grown in so many different ways, but mostly it's grown to, to find a way to do with fewer journalists. I'm 
creating something and instigating a business, a publication, a community hub site, a place where you can get your news, but you can also get much more than that. And so I, I didn't feel like I could legitimately be a, a CEO, a CFO, a, a whatever other letters there are that indicate a person is the top dog. But being a chief instigating officer for me was a little bit playful, but also, you know, authentic to who I am. So no, that, that's cool. That, that, that's a, I, my first instinct was negative as well, but I appreciate that you explained it out. All right. So I'm looking at the site. And what I find interesting about it is that you have hard news, such as uh, a story that you wrote about protesters marching in solidarity with Palestine, right alongside what I would call News You Can Use, a feature <laughs> called Grocery Hunt, that basically scouts out the area for specific products and tells you where you can get the best deals. Uh, it yeah. was an interesting mix of the two. So I'm curious uh, what you're trying to do with what you publish. Well, what we're trying to do really is reflect a community and, uh, and, and acknowledge the fact that in our little bubble of Manchester, New Hampshire, there are people who are passionately uh, involved in causes that are far beyond our boundaries of, of Manchester, New Hampshire, but that, that touch and reach people here, uh, people who have uh, family from um, the Middle East or who or who grew up there themselves and now they're here but they feel strongly about what's happening there or they're just allies. Um, we also have people who are struggling to make ends meet and the grocery game uh, which was the uh, brainchild of my assistant editor Andrew Sylvia um, is something that is feeds into the idea that everybody likes games. You know, we'll all, we'll all do anything if it can be a game for a minute. So every week he goes on our Facebook page and he says, hey guys, you know, what, am, what do you want me to find this week? And then everybody chimes in with what they want to know. Like, okay, how about almond flour? How much does it cost <laughs> in four different places? You know, am I paying too much at Market Basket? Could I get it cheaper at, at Hannaford? So he then decides what the mission is going to be. And he goes out and scouts out where he can find these things and if he can find them and if so, how much they cost. And then he keeps a running tally of where, where you can find the best stuff and how cheap. So it's like, it's, it's like a, it's like one of those things, you know, people become obsessed, especially during a pandemic with all sorts of things like shopping or saving money or spending money. And, um, you know, there's publications that focus just on politics and there's publications that focus just on arts entertainment or sports or whatever. But I say in a community like Manchester, there's so many different people from so many different places. And what fascinates me might not fascinate you, but if I have something for just about anybody to feel like they have a, a finger on the pulse of our city. And that means reflecting, uh, believe it or not, the diversity that, you know, we, we're the most diverse city in New Hampshire, a very white state, but, but we do have a lot of diversity here in our community. And, and we have a diversity of, of politics, a, a diversity of, of belief systems, a diversity of income and a diversity of, um, 
interests. So why not try to be the place where, and that's our tagline, where all things Manchester connect. Um, you can feel part of Manchester, no matter what it is you're really passionate about and find what, you know, find what you're looking for. And, and maybe it's not of interest to you, but maybe it's something you want to know more about. So, you know, that's my, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. For now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and that's the, the thing is that everyone has to go food shopping at some point. Sure. And I mean, I have a, a store I go to all the time. So that's where I shop. It doesn't matter what the prices are. I just, it's close. Yeah. I'm used to it. I know my way around. However, looking at the prices that Andy puts up, I see that, you know, I might save myself some money if I, if I opened my mind and, and maybe shopped elsewhere for some things. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's a valuable lesson in sort of the habits that we hold on to when it comes to that. And, uh, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're open to, to change a little bit, um, you know, we might, we might save a few bucks and, and that might be cool, you know, or we might just learn about new, new things we didn't know existed at the supermarket, which is true. <laughs> yep. You know, I think people ask for products I didn't know existed. So that's kind of fun. This is taking uh, what some have done. You mentioned the nonprofit uh, area before. There are some sites that are very specific to providing that news you can use aspect, and this is just yeah. taking it uh, in a different direction. So, how do your how do your general news stories ideas come about? Yeah, I mean, for example, here's here's how a day can go. Like today, uh, yesterday, I went to the park and uh, downtown, and and I was talking to some of the people down there about. Um, trash issues and why we seem to have more trash than usual and that led me to the public works department which had laid off like 16 people last budget cycle because um, of the pandemic and and budget constraints and that seems like okay so there's 16 less people but then when you call the public works director you find out actually yeah that's that's not great for us to lose 16 people, but the problem is we have 30 openings right now because we can't find anybody who wants to work for the public works department right now. So we have so many vacancies right now, it's hard to keep up. And then when I went to a ribbon cutting today for a rail trail, I found out that they just removed the bathrooms from that very park I was at yesterday uh, due to some safety concerns around homelessness. So then in following up on that, I find that the, the, the removal of the bathrooms is really part of the larger problem that we're having right now, which is more homeless people than we have a place to put them and um, a growing controversy or concern around the lack of affordable housing. So which story, where do I begin? You know, like I have <laughs> in, in, in 24 hours, there's about four or five stories there that um, all of them are uh, important stories, valuable stories. And it's not hard. Like sometimes you feel like you're better off not leaving the house because once you leave the house, you have five more stories to write, you know, <laughs> but, um, which is great, but, um, it's, everything's connected. And that's why I like to say where all things Manchester connect, because I also found out, you know, they're building a new splash pad, which is going to open soon or, or this weekend, whatever, you know, there's so many, there's so many pieces to that puzzle. Now, yours is not just a news and features uh, publication. There's an opinion section too. Uh, and the opinion section, it says, weigh in, sound off, or just tell it like it is. 
And I'm seeing that education is a popular recent uh, topic. What are some of the things that people weigh in on? Oh, you name it. Um, Sometimes they react to one another. Sometimes, uh, a lot of times it's politics because, you know, let's face it, we're the first in the nation. Uh, Every four years, at least, politics is probably the most important thing that happens in New Hampshire. But there's so much Uh, political division that happens and has been happening in the last few years that people sometimes just want to express themselves on that front. But we have people who want to uh, make a plea for the homeless or who who want to raise awareness about um, some good things that are happening. Uh, We had somebody write in about um, a, a group of residents who had spent the pandemic rebuilding or, or creating actually a rail trail in some woods that would be uh, accessible to the entire community. And it's, I've always encouraged that type of submission because um, to be honest, I feel like uh, for too long, journalists were the resident experts or, you know, if, if a journalist didn't didn't go out on a story or didn't follow up on something or didn't report on it, it wasn't getting written about. And with fewer and fewer journalists around right now, I think the um, the key for me is that community can contribute so much to, um, to a publication like ours. And uh, uh, there are people out there in our community who are absolutely experts on on different aspects of life. And I welcome their, um, their opinions or their, their uh, commentary. And I think that's what makes our publication, I think a little more lively and accessible because you can get up on your soapbox, which is what we prefer to call letters to the editor. Although we do have letters to the editor and there's a subtle difference, but get it, the soapbox is what everybody wants to, to, to get up on. <laughs> in our publication. So, um, and I feel like that's harkens back to a time when maybe there weren't a lot of news reporters out there, but everybody had the opportunity to get up on a soapbox on a street corner and let the community know what, what they thought the community should know. Welcome to Journalism History, a podcast that rips out the pages of your history books to re-examine the stories you thought you knew and the ones you were never told. I'm Terry Finneman, and I research media coverage of women in politics. And I'm Nick Hershaw, and I research the history of New York sports. And I'm Ken Ward, and I research the journalism history of the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains. Find the Journalism History Podcast at journalism-history.org slash podcast, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What do you enjoy the most about New Hampshire? Oh boy, Um, I think... You know, there's our motto is live free or die, and that works against us sometimes. But um, the idea that we are sort of a, you know, as conservative as some people think New Hampshire is, um, even in that conservatism, there's the people here have a very strong sense of personal freedom and general freedom. I find that people here seem more civic-minded in some ways than where I came from in Philadelphia, although that's just a blatant generalization. But I think, you know, I think, I think I like the fact that it's it's 
got it's got a strong history, you know, and and uh, and the people are are <laughs> that Yankee sort of independence is is very obvious, you know. I I, I think I think I prefer sometimes you know the the spirit of Philadelphia a little bit. People seem outwardly friendlier and all of that to me, you know, but. It, it, it's fun to live in a different place for so long. I've been here about 20 years now and um, you become, if nothing else, you know, we had the, uh, when we first got here, the Patriots and the Eagles uh, were in the Super Bowl and they've matched up a few times and we love to go to the bar and watch those Super Bowls because we're the only Eagles fans in the room. <laughs> but we also root for the Patriots now because we love, we love the Patriots. We've learned to love them. And when we go home to Philly, oh my gosh, we are, we are traitors. People hate us. They can't believe, you know, we could ever love the Patriots, but we tell them come to New Hampshire for a year or two or three, and you're going to love them too. So it's, um, you know, I don't know if that answers any of your questions. But no, it does. That, that, that's good. Um, tell me about your staff. Okay, so last year, uh, I was able to get a very small PPP loan grant, I guess it was uh, supposed to be a, a, a loan that could be a grant if you used it toward um, retaining staff or hiring staff. So I took a, free t- a, f- a freelancer, Andrew Sylvia, who'd been writing for me for quite a long time. Um, and I made him legitimate, I put a ring on it, so to speak, and made him my um, assistant editor. And so he, um, like you, comes from a very deep sports background. He's always wanted to be a a sports writer solely, probably. But like me, he also had to make ends meet. So he, I met him first uh, through Patch. We were both Patch editors, but he was down in Massachusetts. Um, Anyway, so he's my associate editor and he does municipal stuff. He does everything, really. He's, He's terrific. He does meeting coverage and some of the politics. He does the grocery game. <laughs> you know, he does, he'll cover just about anything um, that's happening. He calls himself sort of the short order cook of reporters. <laughs> because he likes to, you know, crank things out that are happening. And um, then for more in-depth stuff, I have um, a, a small pool of freelancers who cover uh, courts and cops and, um community stories. Uh, they help me cover the homeless stuff, although that's sort of my, um, my weakness is, is I like to cover the homeless, the homeless uh, issues myself for some reason. But um, yeah, so I have, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say a dozen freelancers and columnists uh, that uh, work with me on some basis, you know, when they can or, or nobody regularly. Um, then I have some, some uh, interns who, who were going to start working with me over the summer um, who've reached out because they, they want to work in their hometown when they come home. So that's terrific. Um, haven't had too many interns, but I'm excited about that. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an incredible experience, I guess, um, to do what I'm doing in these times. And I think I have to add to that, that um, a few years ago, I went to a Lion conference in Chicago and I uh, came back with um, the idea that uh, we might want to start a collaborative here. And um, 
sure enough, we gathered some people together and uh, sort of floated the idea of a news collaborative. And uh, in 2018, we established the Granite State News Collaborative. And since then, um, it's grown to include just about every media outlet in New Hampshire. And um, we've gotten a lot of um, grants to do collaborative work on big issue stories. Uh, we collaborated over COVID stories. That's been a game changer. And I think anybody that's in the business now knows a lot about solutions journalism. It's made a big impact down there in Philadelphia. We've modeled a lot of the stuff we've done after some of their projects to a smaller, on a smaller scale. But what that has done for us here in a place where we have shrinking resources for reporters and all of that, also in a climate where the media is the enemy or the media is not to be trusted or the media is not honest or whatever people think. We've, we've solidified our statewide news media as, you know, if there's an important issue out there, we are going to report on it collaboratively so that if you live in the north country of New Hampshire or you live in southern New Hampshire, we're going to give you the truth about these issues. We're going to hold officials feet to the fire and get you some answers so that the entire state is getting information that is verified and it's relatable and reliable. And um, I think I, and, we, and we're sharing the resources. So if I don't have five reporters, but I can access collaborative stories that have been written by either freelancers or staff reporters for other news outlets, um, that benefits my readers. And it also, uh, it, it benefits all our readers because they're, they're getting trustworthy information that is uh, collaborative approved. So, so that's been a big, a big thing, I think, for not just myself, but for some of the other media outlets here in New Hampshire to have access to the collaborative and to be part of that. It certainly uh, makes up for essentially the cuts in media uh, that are taking place all over if groups uh, collaborate and work together. This is the what I call the Emmy Lederman question. She's uh, my colleague on the podcast, not with us today, but uh, is there an area that you feel is uncovered that a young aspiring journalist could look to fill? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an interesting question because my instinct has always been, you know, to to find out what what the stories are that aren't being told in your community and then tell those stories as far as the big picture stories. Like there's there's so many incredible uh, news outlets that are big, you know, they're, they're able to tackle the huge issue stories or dig into uh, federal government things. And, you know, the, the kind of Watergate-y kind of stories that every journalist dreams they're going to write. But, you know, for my money, covering a small city, it's, it's the biggest one we've got, but we're about 114,000, um, listening to the people looking at what's around you and being inquisitive enough to, to question some of the things and then telling those stories, digging in and, and, and telling those stories. Um, a wise person once told me that, you know, every news story is a story. So 
tell some stories. You know, we we get into this business sometime thinking we have to create um, create stories that are formulaic or follow some sort of a pattern and have, you know, here's your lead and then you're going to have your nut graph and then you're going to have quote, paragraph, quote. <laughs> and, and, and that's fine. You know, it's fine to do that, I guess. But I don't approach stories that way and I never could. I always figure out what is the story and then how would I tell that story to someone if I was really excited about it and I wanted them to understand why I'm so excited about it, you know? Um, and, and so I think the key for me in journalism isn't necessarily trying to break the big stories or, or um, you know, throw the man under the bus or whatever people want to do these days. I say, you know, the key is to tell the stories that matter to people, tell people's stories, find out the story behind the stories and tell those stories and just keep telling great stories. But, but, but don't just scratch the surface. You know, when you're talking to somebody, ask them things that bring out the rest of the story and then tell those stories and keep telling them. So, I mean, any, any student that's interested in journalism has to be interested in people because every good story has a person in it, at least one, you know, we don't write about cars too often. And if we do, we write about the guy that invented, you know, something <laughs> slick about the car. Well, you know, or we talk about, you know, Henry Ford, or we talk about anything like it's, there's a per there's always some person in it. So, you know, I don't know if that's advice, but I just think telling an authentic story and, um, and making sure that it resonates with your audience uh, yeah. is it's, it's important to know who your audience is. Yep. And you can never go wrong uh, doing that in my mind. Um, you mentioned story uh, and it is uh, typical on this podcast that we tell stories about uh, the professor to whom this podcast is dedicated, Dr. Robert Cole from the College of New Jersey. He ran the journalism department there for more than 30 years. I'm curious what your best Bob Cole story is. I guess the, the best one would be the one that, that mattered the most to me in, in that, I mean, there were a million, a million stories you could tell about Bob Cole, but for me, it was um, something that he said about getting, getting into the business or getting, getting a job and getting your foot in a door. And so, and I, I wish I could remember now if he said this only to me or if he said it to our entire class or if he says it to every class and I just didn't know that it was his, his, usual, his usual advice. But he said, if you wanna work in a newspaper, go get hired at a newspaper. I don't care if you're sweeping the floors or emptying the trash cans, just get your foot in that door. And once you're in there, then you're gonna find the right people and let them know who you are and what you can do. And don't worry about it, you'll succeed, right? So I was like, oh, well, that's interesting advice. So I looked in the one ads and I saw that the local newspaper was hiring someone to do data entry for their ads, which at that time, every ad that was generated was a matter of coding in, you know, typing in the code that had been written by hand by these, these mostly gentlemen in the ad department. So I got hired to do data entry in the ad department. And one day the city editor was walking through to check a proof and I stopped him and I said, uh, hey Milt, my name's Carol Robidoux and I'm a student at Trent State. And um, 
I'm studying journalism and I want to write. He goes, uh, okay. And he pulls a piece of paper out of his pocket and he writes down pet cemetery and he hands it to me. He says, write a story about pet cemeteries. I'm like, okay. So I did that and they published it. And then six months later, they were hiring a full-time reporter and I applied for that job and they asked me if I had ever written anything professionally. And I said, yeah, I wrote once for your paper about pet cemeteries and I got hired as a full-time reporter based on that story and my, you know, my enthusiasm, I suppose. But it never would have occurred to me. And I got, so I got hired out of the ad department. Why? Because Bob Cole told me to go do whatever I could do. And, and, and if it took me two years to find my way into the newsroom, I would find my way into the newsroom if, if that's what I wanted, you know, you have to be there. He says, if you want to work in a newsroom, you got to be in a newsroom, right? You know, so <laughs> I thought that was just, he made it sound so simple, but I, I never would have imagined that it made sense to, for me to go work in some other department with the hopes of being discovered, so to speak, but he, was, he just always gave that kind of advice. It was, it was just practical and, um, and sort of in your face a little bit, you know? And, yep. and so that really, if not for that, I doubt that I would have, I don't know how I would have ever gotten a job there because I had no writing experience. And I, I don't know if I'd be a publisher in New Hampshire today. I, I just, who knows? I have no idea. Get in the door and make yourself known. Uh, awesome. All right, last question. Uh, is there a person or organization that you would like to salute? Well, I think I've saluted the Lion Publishers yep. and I think I'd like to salute uh, the Solutions Journalism Network, which is doing good work all around the country, uh, shifting the focus towards solving some of our problems rather than just shining bright lights on all the, the negative things or the things that are wrong. Um, and a, a, a shout out to our own little Granite State News Collaborative here, uh, which is a collaborative, collaborative nh.org. I, I think, I hope I got that right. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a great time to be a journalist. I wish I had 50 more years ahead of me. I doubt I do, but if you're a young aspiring journalist, I would say now is the time really to, you can make anything happen, you know, be your own chief instigating officer and make something happen. Yes, absolutely. And if people want to learn more about the Solutions Journalism Network, episode three, uh, we talked to Michelle Faust Raghavan uh, from that group. Um, Carol, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been my pleasure. The Manchester Inklink is an online news source for news events and happenings in the greater Manchester, New Hampshire area. It gets more than 500,000 monthly visits from 300,000 unique visitors. The Inklink is about the people and possibilities that make Manchester tick. And as I noted during the episode, its success is a good lesson in entrepreneurial journalism. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.